The year is 2022, and cancer is still Canada's leading cause of death. Yet despite living in an era of precision medicine, the multinefariousness of cancer has continued to challenge our medical systems, with breakthroughs few and far between. A big part of the problem is that so much of cancer remains invisible to the experts tasked with treating it. Oncologists do their best to analyze radiology reports, and surgeons remove the bits of tumor they can see, but more and more evidence suggests that, when it comes to cancer, it's what you can't see that will hurt you. So how might we be able to uncover and visualize these otherwise unseen elements to start making significant advancements in cancer research? Like so many other problems in our tech-saturated age, artificial intelligence seems to offer a solution. My name is Dr. Jordan Lone Cologne, and I'm currently serving as the AI Ethics and Data Justice Fellow at Queen's University Canada. I will be your host for this podcast series as we look at the 21st century confluence of complex technology like artificial intelligence, big data, and philosophy within the medical world. I'm part of a team of interdisciplinary researchers asking questions about a particular new AI in development called the Digital Cancer Twin. On this team are... Amber Simpson. I am an associate professor and a Canada Research Chair in Biomedical Computing and Informatics. Lana James, capital L, capital L. Yes, there's two of them. A-N-A. James, J-A-N, as in mother, E-S. I'm actually physically in what... Settler society refers to as uh, Toronto, but in terms of the facts of the matter, I'm actually on the treaty territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation and the ancestral and traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Ojibwa, Chippewa, and here on Wendat Nation. I'm in this time speaking from the role as the AI medicine and postdoctoral uh, data justice person over at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. I'm Dr. Sharde Masranjan. I'm an assistant professor in the School of Religion at Queen's University. Our goal for the Digital Cancer Twin Project is to theorize some of the ethical implications for advanced technologies, like AI, as they work to solve problems in the medical field. Our team consists of computer scientists, data specialists, ethicists, and philosophers, with special guests in the fields of AI, VR, and cancer research. One of our first steps with this podcast is to help change the way humans in AI-driven contexts think of their place in the world with respect to all other kinds of beings and being in it. So throughout our interviews and stories, we'll try to achieve two goals. First, we need to raise awareness of the ways that we humans already cede so much of our decision-making power, outsource our memory, and share our intimate lives with AI algorithms and the companies and governments that are holding their reins. And second, We need to leverage philosophy and critical cultural study scholarship that is helping humans reconsider their own being in the world. For example, how our bodies are intraactive with our environments, how our current molecular makeup is ontologically multiple, as in, we are not and never have been just a singular individual, or new studies reminding us that we are not essentially different from other matter, even machine matter which is more vibrant than conventionally understood. Our project is funded by the New Frontiers in Research grant, with the goal of theorizing and exploring the human implications of new AI technology in the midst of its development. More often than not, 
advanced tech typically makes its way into the world well before the ethicists and the humanists have had a chance to think through what its impacts might be. Our team is looking to rectify that problem. We are asking questions and exploring impacts of the digital cancer twin as it's currently being developed. So what exactly is the digital cancer twin? Here at Queen's University, Canada's research chair in biomedical computing and informatics, Dr. Amber Simpson, has put together an AI and computer science team to work on the context of oncology. Her lab is developing an AI diagnostic tool that creates digital twins, which are digital replicas of patients based on their medical information, specifically the data, and it can be used to predict the metastatic potential of any cancer at its early stages. This research would radically transform our approach to cancer treatment. One of the problems with current cancer treatment is our limited understanding of the changing biology of cancer cells, part of the hiddenness mentioned above. The digital cancer twin AI looks to rectify that by tracking the visual development of tumors over time in a single patient, what's known as 4D biomarkers. The AI program uses natural language processing, or NLP, which normally has text and speech as its data, to analyze CT scans, or images of tumors, for progression patterns of cancer patients as they develop. Once the program gets good at accurately reading these images, the hope is that it can be used to offer statistical predictions on how cancer might develop at any state. These digital cancer twins, or DCTs, would hopefully provide the type of data that would allow low-risk patients to be effectively cured through accurate, inoperative assessment of tumor margins with molecular-driven intraoperative tools while providing high-risk patients to be directed to precisely targeted chemotherapy. However, the foregoing work raises substantial social and ethical questions. Even if we can make a digital twin, should we? What would you do if you were perfectly healthy and were diagnosed with cancer at an early stage and your oncologist indicated that your five-year survival probability was less than 2%? Would you want to know? And what would you do with that information? To act on the information offered by the DCT throws into question the very nature of the self. The boundaries between the body of data and the fleshy body become porous. AI more broadly has become part of our society faster than the computer scientists and neuroscientists at its vanguard had expected. As a result, the bioethical implications of AI are not fully appreciated. For example, Canadian AI pioneer and Turing Award winner Yoshua Bengio recently warned of the potential misuse of AIs by individuals, companies, and governments, and that the only way to face this problem is to have a more just society where people care about the group more than their individual interests. So what steps can we take to create this society? That might be well beyond the nature of this podcast. But what we can try to do is give more information to individuals, to you, the listener, so you can be a part of the conversation. With that being said, let's begin with a brief history of how this project came to be. So I was doing the, the robotics or computer-aided surgery, as we call it, and I, you know, I left Queens, I graduated, and I went down to Vanderbilt University to do a postdoc. They have a really great medical robotics and, and biomedical engineering program there. So I did that work. And then Vanderbilt sent me to New York to Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center 
um, to lead a, a, an NIH funded initiative. That's the National Institutes of Health, which is the big health research funder in the US. Um, and so they sent me there and uh, um, I started hanging out with with oncologists and surgical oncologists and and pathologists every day. And I remember I was in a research meeting and research meetings in hospitals tend to happen really early in the morning because they tend to bracket, bracket clinical activities. So it was 7 a.m. and I was in this research meeting and I was kind of I was a little bit sleepy. And there was this radiologist presenting and he was saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure there's information in this CT scan that I'm looking at that I just I can't quite figure it out, but I'm pretty sure it's there. Um, and then my one of my my surgeon colleagues said, well, you should meet Amber. She's a computer scientist and maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something she could help you with. And so this was 2013, I think 2013. Yeah. And um, and and so then I, I went to meet this radiologist and it turns out he's Canadian. And I found that out because his phone started ringing and it was it was the year that Call Me Maybe came out. So Call oh, Me yeah. Maybe was his ringtone and it was going <laughs> on and on. And he was like, oh, it's funny because I'm Canadian. And I was like, yeah, I know. Like, I know. I know she's I know Carly Jepsen's Canadian. I'm Canadian. And it was a bonding moment. Right. To have the Canadians in New York. And so we devised this project and I said, well, I think I can, with pretty simple image processing tools, I can do this thing that you want me to do. It was, I think it was reading week. I programmed for like five hours and came up with um, something and that was it. That was our first predictive analytics project. And then we proceeded to, um, so it, it's, it was in a, a field called radiomics where we take imaging data and we mine it for for additional information that you maybe can't see but is there quantitatively. So I had written this program that could extract quantitative information from a CT scan. I know all about how to handle medical images because of all this previous work that I had done and I did this whole thing in like 5 hours. And so I came back and I was like, "Oh look, there's there's a difference between these two study groups that you wanted me to look at and here's the difference." And that was it. That started a whole research program for us. And that research program has been going since 2013. And now we have multiple uh, NIH grants. We have the the digital, the cancer digital twin, as well as as many other projects. But it was really because I showed up that one day at 7 a.m. And then Amber and I met. We started talking, and she literally was describing the digital twin project. And I was like, no, nothing is ever. <laughs> I am like at a mixed pot of like, as you can see, I'm truly a transdisciplinary scholar. So I was like, I was like, are you, are you describing something you're thinking about doing? She's like, no, I'm reading off of the posting that we're about to drop. And you are literally it. And I'm like, that is so crazy. Cause like the, you know, the posting talks about the intersection of all of these nuanced areas yeah. and you know, that's not the norm. The academy is not usually that deep. And so I was like, yeah, she's like, you are like, you're, this is a perfect fit. So we went through the process because the conversations we were having, she's like, wow, you and Sade, she's like, because, you know, I talk about things in her ways and I have a different area, which is why we were so um, well matched. And she's like, we all speak different languages, but we get it. We get each other enough to, to bridge the conversation. I have forever in, in everything that I've done 
in the humanities, whether it's from disciplinarily more grounded in philosophy or cultural studies or art history or religious studies, I've wanted to speak with the physical sciences. Any knowledge that I'm a part of creating, I want to be consilient in some way because I don't want to keep fracturing the disciplines and the subdisciplines and the sub subdisciplines. I don't want to just spin off endless subdisciplines of factoids that don't connect with each other. I want to synthesize. I want to integrate knowledge from different disciplines into some sort of grand theory of everything. That's ambitious, but but the idea is there to unite rather than to divide epistemologically. And yeah, and part of that is the way that the university is organized. I asked University Research Services uh, and the um, Associate Dean of Research when this new grant came out, the New Frontiers and Research Foundation, which was a tri-council grant, so in, in Canada. In Canada, we've got the tri-agencies, so the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council Canada, SHRC, the Canadian Institutes for Health Research, CIHR, and the Natural Science and Engineering Research Council, NSERC. And they came up with this new funding program that would fund high-risk, high-reward research that could only be done at the intersection of, it was either all three or two, at least two of the councils together. So um, something that in a traditional grant application, it just wouldn't fit in to any one of those domains, which meant that you basically had to be doing something in an interdisciplinary team. So I saw an opportunity there and I got in touch with the associate dean research and I said, could you find a scientist who would want to play with me? And uh, so he sent out a call and lo and behold, Dr. Amber Simpson, the Canada Research Chair in AI here at Queen's, who had just been lured up from her research post at Sloan Kettering, emailed me within five minutes and, uh, and she said, I've got an idea that can't lose. And she was right. And so I explained to her that my investment in the collaboration was not specifically about oncology, not specifically about a problem in computer science, like an applied sort of problem, you know, how do we model this or that? It was about ontology. It was about what does artificial intelligence stand to help us or make us think through with respect to the nature of consciousness, the nature of reality, the nature of experience, so phenomenology as well, when our experience is mediated through, uh, you know, predictive algorithms and stuff like that. Or when in the case of the digital cancer twin, what I thought was particularly interesting was this well, the twinning aspect of it, that it's this kind of digital doppelganger that walks a path that you are also walking, but it does it faster. And you may or may not want to follow it. <laughs> you may or may not have a choice. And, you know, when, when I've described the project to people outside of computer science or beyond the humanists who I know who also study artificial intelligence and sort of algorithmic culture, people say things like, oh, well, you're going to, you're going to, 
build a robot to just hurt it? You're going to torture it? You're going to give it cancer? You're going to, is that, <laughs> um, is, that sounds, that sounds cruel and terrible. Um, and so there's, they immediately personalize the algorithm a lot more than it actually is. Like there isn't a, in this diagnostic program, should it get translated into clinical application, it won't be that people are sort of sitting down on a patient bed next to a hologram of themselves or even seeing their own body visually represented on a screen necessarily. It's it's not like that. It's more of a matter of, well, coding this huge number of radiological scans um, that are annotated and then being able to much better predict the natural history in the future (laughs) of a disease. And I think even though that doesn't entail interacting with a hologram of yourself or some other kind of representation of yourself in a robotic form in the way that we would think of it, like C-3PO or something like that, just having this model, even just conceptually, just made of ideas, just abstracted from the data that your biometrics have produced when you put them in relation to the biometrics of all of these patients who've come before you. I think that does something to your sense of subjectivity, where you yourself are located, kind of the boundaries of your own body and what affects it, how much effect you can have on it. So your own agency in your health. And it it, it immediately puts you in touch, I think, with your futurity in a different way than even just a conventional diagnosis has it. I mean, looking at the word diagnosis, you've got dia across and gnosis, knowledge, not the same sort of gnosis as like the the direct and incommunicable um, sort of revelation of, of gnosis, of, of like the, you know, Gnostics, uh, texts of, of antiquity, but, um, but still you've got this like knowledge across time with diagnosis, but with something that is predictive in it, in the really heavily data-driven way that the digital cancer twin is, I wonder if it leaves sort of the same space of play in one's imagination or within one's own sense of agency to affect the course of events in the future, it may seem like things are a little bit more foreclosed than they were, or perhaps more hopeful. We, we don't know in the sense that it, it's not yet being used clinically. And, and that was part of the reason of, of me wanting to be part of this project is that I wanted to be on the ground of something as it was being created to think through it as it was happening, as opposed to what the role of the humanities has been lately when the humanities is allowed to have a role at all, which is sort of after the fact admonishing, we told you, you should have thought about the social implications of this. You know, it's going to change culture. It's going to change human behavior. It's going to change economic systems. It's, it's going to change institutions that we rely on for our daily life chances and 
you know, unintended consequences by definition can't be exactly predicted, exactly predicted, but you can think through using models of perhaps similar things before. And ideally that should be happening as tools are being developed and they shouldn't be developed in a vacuum from the influence of humanistic thought. But so often that is the case and it's truly difficult and it's truly more difficult than even I thought it would be for myself as somebody who does often theorize technological objects that are out there in the world. I thought being part of a team where it was being created would give me a different perspective than if I was just an observer of the culture that's already around me. But in fact, I realized that that's not necessarily the case because if there's a collaboration between humanist investigators and scientific investigators and they don't share research questions, then the nature of the collaboration may still be fairly siloed I think it's an improvement on the norm, which is to fund these types of projects in total isolation from each other. But there aren't a lot of incentives for humanists and scientists to be asking a lot of the same questions if they don't have a shared experimental goal. So in this case, it's it's not an experimental project. It's the development of a tool with intended clinical utility. So the real challenge, I think, in this project, again, speaking from the humanities side of things, is to figure out what, in this context, meaningful collaboration with scientist colleagues actually is or can be. And with that, We ask that you join us as we discuss and archive the journey of the Digital Cancer Twins development. Our future episodes will cover issues of medicine and military funding, data and race justice, and deep existential questions regarding our human relating to technology and death. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us again. The Digital Cancer Twin podcast is a result of a grant distributed by the New Frontiers in Research Fund of the Tri-Councils of Canada and recorded on Queen's University campus. We want to formally acknowledge that Queen's University is situated on the unceded territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabeg. We are grateful to be able to live, learn, and play on these lands. 